Oh yeah, you want to talk about white women? Yes. All right. Um. Okay. You don't have to do a full intro like you did last time because you already did it last time. So how about instead we do two truths and a lie? Oh, by myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kate, tell us two truths and a lie about you. Wow, right off the fly. Great. Um, Don't worry, I'll I'll edit for, for, uh, so take your time. Am I supposed to make it so that, um, you, you're not supposed to not? Uh, yeah, let's try that, actually. Let's try it. Well, you know too much about me. <laughs> Fine. Do do whatever comes to your mind, then. Whatever's easiest for you. So my two truths and one lie are as follows. Number one. I have been to 31 countries. Number two, I have run to marathons. And number three, I have backpacked South America. All right, so the lie in my two truths and one lie is um, that I have backpacked South America. But I have run two marathons and I have been to 31 countries. And... None of them have been in South America. I've never been to South America at all. So there you go. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Insincerely Yours. I'm your host, Janvi, and here is a second episode featuring conversation with one of my close friends, Kate. You just learned more about her in that opening segment, and I hope you were able to guess the lie in time before the reveal. As I told Kate, I was going to be super pissed at myself if I didn't get it right after all this time of being friends, because that would make me the world's shittiest friend, for real, for real. If you want to learn more about her, you can listen to her velvet tones give me a verbal thrashing on the previous episode, which was about white men. Having said that, the topic of discussion on this episode is white women, and we were able to stay mostly on target, 1000% thanks to Kate and 0% thanks to me. And y'all know, again, that was my fault, because we broached some related but tangential subjects, so please bear with me as I continue to learn how to be a better interviewer as well as podcast host. Just like with our last conversation on white men, Kate shines as the educator she is because you will hear her school, my grumpy, temperamental dumbass in many different areas with reason, patience, and eloquence. Only one of which I have. You can try to guess which one. I'm not going to say it out loud. And even then, I'm not really sure I still have much of it left. Um, The major ground we cover include conservative women and Karens, white women tears and fragility, and women against women with some debate on Taylor Swift to round out the whole thing. Talking to Kate about white people and doing my own research on the topics, as broad as there are because there are so many different areas to cover, was frustrating and enlightening in many ways. You'll hear about that in the final episode next week. I originally mentioned in the previous episode that I would be doing two separate segments on white men and women, one being the conversation with Kate and the other my usual essay style. After working and reworking the essays for both of these topics over the past, I guess, more than a month now, almost two months, the drafts didn't feel quite right. So instead, I decided to scrap all of that work and I chose another direction. 
and that direction is going to be the last episode. It ties together both of these topics as well as the others I covered. I don't want to spoil the surprise, um, but I think the reaction is going to be interesting because I have a lot of stuff to say. I'm going to drop that next week because I'm finalizing it now. Uh, The last bit of housekeeping for this episode before the real talk starts. I had a tough time finding good points to edit because I wanted to keep the flow of the conversation we had. Ultimately, I decided on two parts for this episode, the first of which is about 40 minutes long and focuses primarily on the politics and culture revolving around the concept of white women, and the second which focuses more on my and Kate's personal experiences. When you hear the cow mooing, um, that is the break between segments, but of course you're free to stop and start whichever way the wind blows for you. And one more thing that, actually two more things that I wanted to add that I forgot about, which I realized while I was editing, Uh, Many apologies for the random and consistent clicking noises you'll hear throughout this whole thing. I didn't realize that my pen fiddling habit would be picked up by the mic. Um, That I will talk about another time. And also, don't be like me and interrupt people. Being excited about a topic isn't a good reason to interrupt, so my apologies to Kate on that. I've gotten better with this over the years, but you all know how hard bad habits are to unlearn. As always, thanks again for listening. And feel free to send me any feedback or requests through any channels of communication you have with me. Or you can email pod.insincerely.yours at gmail.com. Then let's start with, all right. So what made you interested in wanting to have this discussion on white women when I approached you about it? Um... I guess really just that you asked me to do it and I'm always interested in talking to you about topics. (laughs) Fair enough. That's how I feel too. That's also why I asked you. So then let's, like I said, so one of the things that I want to talk about is conservative white women. But like I already told you, I don't know, they're kind of annoying and I think they already get way too much airtime. But for the sake of, quote, balanced discussion, what do you think about conservative white women? I feel as though that is a multifaceted question because my experiences and perception has changed so much over the years. Where Tell me more. I don't know. I feel like I used to definitely be like you and like very annoyed um, with just specific facets of I don't even know if you could say, like, white woman culture, if that's a thing, but, like, certain characteristics that are commonly seen in that demographic. And then I write a bit more about, honestly, like, feminism and started to rethink and reshape some of my ideas. Give me an example of something that you change your mind on when it con- comes to either white woman culture or specifically conservative white woman culture? I guess the idea that being the stereotypical housewife, like staying home and wanting to have a family and cook and clean is like that there's something wrong with that or that it's outdated or old fashioned because that type of domesticity is a luxury that I would say most women who are not white aren't afforded um, because of like class 
issues and necessity of work. And I used to think like a, a particular type of way about that. And then I think as I read more about feminism and what that really means and how it's meant to be inclusive, that um, it started to alter my opinion about that, where it's like, well, if, if, if somebody wants to do that, that's fine. That's just not what I want. And it's not something that I can strongly um, not identify with, but connect to, I guess. I see what you're saying. I've actually, so the point that you bring up about um, domesticity and the quote traditional, you know, I guess, gender norms. I don't have a problem with that either. I, I have the same exact thought, like the sense of evolution that you did. And when I was first, um, you know, learning about feminism, things like that, um, that also taught me that whether a woman chooses to be a housewife or, you know, put a career ahead or just has have kids or whatever, like all of the choices are her choices. And I don't disagree with that. But I guess my view of conservative white women isn't even that. It's more the kind of conservative white women that end up on sites like Fox News or end up in politics. Um, so what are your thoughts on those women? Because I've never, I don't even see them as, you know, your friendly apron wearing, cooking domestic housewife. Like that's, that, when I think of conservative white women, that's not what pops into my head. So you're talking about like our Ann Coulter's and like Kellyanne Conway's? Yeah. Um, because, yeah. I think that it is, it's hard to comment on because on one hand, I almost feel like sometimes when you see those kinds of like Fox News or uh, conservative platforms like that, having a woman, it's almost like you're, it's almost like the station's token woman. Like they need to have quote unquote gender equality. So they have to employ a woman and it just happens mm. to be a woman who shares the same ideologies. Because when you watch other news sources and you see women anchors, like what's your impression of them? I guess they don't bother you. That's a good question. Because now I'm thinking about the way that you've, like your image of conservative white woman and What's interesting is, so I used to watch um, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette for a couple of years. My coworker got me into it. And I was doing some research into the, the, the demographics. And most of the people who watch it are the type that you described in terms of, you know, generally domestic, um, mid-middle-aged white women in the suburbs slash rural areas of the U.S. who either, you know, if they're working, they generally have part-time hours or if they're doing full-time. Because ABC did studies and stuff like that. And people have done... Um, service but those are the kinds of women that believe the ones that I have an image of on tv so yeah feminism says that you know women can make whatever choices that they want but when those women are making the kinds of choices that affect you know people of color other women of color you know even their own husbands even their own communities negatively I don't know like it's just it doesn't make sense to me you know they talk about family values and salt of the earth and all those things and then they make choices that are literally the opposite of that and i i can't understand it what are your thoughts on that well i almost like run the risk i guess of like oversimplifying or like generalizing when you say stuff like that too that becomes something that's important because i know plenty of women who have kids and family and 
I don't know if they necessarily stay at home, but they're not conservative, but they're still white women. So I guess it's like harder to, and probably dangerous, right? To like do that kind of like line drawing or like boundary creating. I guess my thing was always like the privilege aspect of being a white woman. So even though you're a woman, you are still allotted a specific amount of privilege because you're white. And so like, obviously the waves of feminism are a great example of that and how they were like never really that inclusive. But I think there's plenty of women who are also like housewives who support more inclusive feminism. And of course there's probably also women that like your original question was asking me about like women who keep um, promoting the same male dominated white male dominated ideologies. I agree with your point about generalizing, um, which is, uh, yeah, definitely a trap that's easy to fall into. So what I did um, was I looked into that. So then, you know, that statistic where like 53% of white women voted for Trump. So I looked into that and it's the 53% is not true only because it's based off of exit polling. So what um, researchers did is that they actually looked into, they compared the exit polling to the actual votes and what they still found, though, is that not 53% of white women, 47% of white women voted for Trump and 45% of white women voted for Hillary Clinton. And the rest, they either didn't vote or um, of the eligible voters who voted. So a plurality of women, white women still voted for Trump. And of those that voted for Trump, I think it was something like 30% college degrees. And then the rest did not have college degrees. And I know that demographic, um, college-educated white women, is a big factor in current polling statistics, too, with the campaign at hand between Trump and Biden. And apparently Biden is doing much better with college-educated white women than Hillary did. But I think, like, that in and of itself is an interesting topic to kind of, like, tease out, um why women in general just have so much trouble supporting other women, which I think is like maybe again, a generalization, but certainly true. <laughs> what, so uh, that's, that's actually a topic that I wanted to um, talk more about. What do you think is the reason behind that? Especially when white women don't support other white women. I think in the case of Hillary Clinton, it was because of the type of woman she was. She wasn't like very feminine she was kind of more masculine. Um, and I don't think women generally respond well to that because it's almost like a gender bending, gender crossing norm that's set into place that I think the stereotypes that exist around women are just so ingrained about what a woman should or should not do or look like that we reject women who don't fall into that category. And it's sort of like the same thing that we do with like racial policing and racial boundaries. So somebody who's like black, but not black enough or white, but not white enough because they're trying to be black or they're trying to be white or whatever. I think we do that with women, but I think it goes for like deeper than that. Um, 
I don't know. What do you think? I think it's interesting the way you described it because I agree with you. Um, you know, the whole with Hillary being, you know, acting basically like a quote man, and that's not something that women respond to, you know, whether it's internalized misogyny or other cultural social factors that we've been conditioned to. But what's interesting is that, so you know that thing, you know, where I'm sure every one of us, whoever's in our 30s or 40s had phase in our life where I'm not that kind of girl or I'm not that kind of woman where basically, you know, my friends are all guys and I like sports and, you know, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. So it's it almost feels like those kinds women are rejecting Hillary for one sense on you know for those exact masculine trending characteristics while at the same time either ignoring or not realizing when we accept or even have our own histories with those kinds of masculine trending personas like what's you know if I don't know yeah like what does a woman have to be for a woman especially for white women, how does a woman have to present herself to be liked? I think that's a good question. And it's interesting because I know that you and I have already talked about this in the past where growing up, it just was very hard to connect to women in general. And I, and like you were saying, I feel like every girl has said this, like all of my close friends are guys or I just get along better with guys or I don't really get along with women. Um, yeah. And that's a challenging question to try to answer. Um, I just always felt like I got along better with boys or men definitely, or women who were not overly feminine, whether that involved like interests or hobbies. So whether it was like something nerdy um, so I, I played like, like magic cards or Pokemon cards when I was a kid. And that I think tended to skew more towards like activities boys would want to do. But then when I found another girl who'd like to do those things, we got along well. Um, but I was never like into cheerleading or dancing or any like very stereotypical girly things. And Maybe it's it's more just like not having things in common when I was younger, because now I think it's easier for me to get along better with women the older I get. And maybe that's just because I like have read more literature and I have more of an understanding about what it means to be a woman. But that would also certainly be attributed to like all of the advertising, branding messages pushed out to girls through media, whether it's like TV, movies, magazines, pop culture. But I don't know, like I've, I've thought about that a lot too. Like why is it so hard for girls to connect with each other in a way that's meaningful? Um, Cause even like uh, girls always have issues like within, within friend circles. I feel like way more than men do with like backstabbers or liars or, you know, those are kind of like negative adjectives describe it that are used to describe girls or women way more than men yeah because uh that what is that conflation with the psychological and emotional abuse that comes with uh being a woman versus or the more physical violence that comes with being a man right but the more that i read 
or learn, the more it's sort of like being a woman is really difficult and painful in many ways. And so you would think that women would want to find that kind of solidarity with other women as opposed to empathizing more with men. But I feel like we often defer to men instead of like creating positive spaces for ourselves to exist. That's yeah. What everything that you described literally was me too. And until high school, I didn't have positive, you know, strong female role models because especially growing up in a, in a Brown household with, you know, the, the patriarchy solidly in place. So just like you, when I was younger, I, you know, I was the kind of girl who only hung out with boys. I played a lot of sports you know, did the Pokemon thing, video games, things like that with my brother and his friends. And it wasn't until high school that I actually started thinking about my own personality, you know, and not just because, oh, girls are catty or girls are mean or whatever. And it was my, it was my quiz bowl advisor and one of my teachers, um, both of, they're two different people, but they're just very independent, like powerful women. And they taught me that all of these, like you said, all of these false rivalries that we make with other women especially when we should be supporting them it's just really enabling this whole you know the the negative gender norms and the patriarchy and all of that and it's just once I started realizing that I've tried my best to be supportive of other women but it can be hard like for example at work I try really hard to be supportive of all the women But when the white women, especially the younger ones, get away with shit that, you know, especially me as a a woman of color and other um, co-workers who are also women of color, they couldn't get away with that kind of stuff. It makes it hard for me to separate the race aspect of it from, like, the personality aspect of it. Do you, you know, do you understand? Um, Yeah, and I feel like that is connected to sort of your original question when you asked me my general impressions and I came up with like a very stereotypical housewife. And I feel like it's because of the um, stereotypes that are assigned to women of color. So white women generally do have that sort of more like housewife domestic stereotype. And then I feel like black women, like it's like the angry black women, woman or the uneducated or the welfare And then with brown women, probably more and more, well, maybe less and less, just all the, like, Islamophobia that's tied to that. And I guess that also obviously affects brown men. But I don't know, what other kinds of stereotypes do you think, uh, like, surround brown women? I think the whole submissiveness thing, you know, not just brown women of my kind of brown women, but Asian women in general. I mean, yeah, there are differences between South Asian and East Asian culture. But one big thing about it, at least in terms of when it comes to women, is the subjugation of women. So that's pretty much common. Women, regardless of, you know, whether you're from India or China or Japan or whatever, they've generally historically been relegated to second place because of the patriarchy in those cultures. Um, But the whole... When I started standing up for myself at any of my jobs, it was a very different experience than when when my white coworkers, especially women, stood up for themselves. And it makes me 
obviously it made me angry at the time, but you know, with time and everything passing, it's interesting, I guess, on an academic level, how the attitudes are different, especially when it's men of color who treat women differently. Like they expect women of color to be how they've been taught, how they've been raised, submissive, blah, 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 regardless of how westernized they are, whatever, whatever. And obviously, I don't think they're doing it consciously, but it's interesting to see these subconscious cultural biases play out because my um, white coworkers who are women, they get a lot more slack than the rest of us who are women of color, especially because what's ironic is our boss is a man of color. That makes sense. Um, because I guess it's about who you... I don't want to say like identify with, but how you identify different races. And I think that people are always very wary about upsetting white women because who protects white women, white men, and who has the most power in society, white men. So, you know, obviously this dates back so far, but like one of the easiest and prime examples that everybody's bringing up these days anyway is like Emma Till, right? So that's a great example of like white men protecting a white woman in a way that they wouldn't have done, obviously given the circumstances and the time period for a woman of color. But I think because that is the longstanding history, people tread very lightly around white women because they're supported by white men and their whiteness. It actually never made sense to me until like when I started thinking about it a couple of months ago, because in the beginning for me, my, my default was, oh, he's a man of color. I'm a man. I'm a woman of color. You would think because, you know, we have had at least some kind of similar experiences living in this kind of country that we would automatically, he would be on my side more than, you know, theirs. But it took me, it was, it was a very frustrating learning experience for me because just like you pointed out, it, it took me way too long to realize exactly what you said that women white women are to be protected at all costs because if they aren't everyone else will have to deal with the wrath of the white men that they are beholden to whether it's familial connections professional or something else and it's just i don't know it it feels like it feels like a betrayal but also you know further enabling that whole you know um the colonial mentality of so there's a there's a there's a yes mass aversion in hindi and indian culture of Hasai basically literally means yes, master. I'm just like, dude, our people, you know, our ancestors, even just 60 years ago, they fought for independence, but you're still, you know, you know, perpetrating that bullshit. Like, what's the fucking point? I mean, just the longstanding history of it, which goes a lot deeper. And also, I don't want to say history because it's 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 pretty recent, too. Yeah, that's the worst part of it, especially because Emmett Till, when you really think about it, I mean, he's he's a prime example. That only happened 60 years ago, but obviously it's the where there's untold numbers of Emmett Till's before and after, right. too. But that's that, exactly like it's it's still pretty recent, but it's not it's like nothing has really changed since Emmett Till. Like the this fragility of this fragile, I don't know, impression of white men, white women is still being enhanced I don't know the word but it's still so strong in all areas whether it's conservative white women or liberal white women or whatever kind of white women like I'm tired of 
having to cater to the feelings of white women. Yeah. Um, I know that we talked about this too separately and you didn't really express a lot of interest in reading it, but white fragility talks about that. And the whole chapter <laughs> called like white women, white woman tears and all about how like, well, obviously people are going to have their feelings about the book, but the woman who wrote it, Robin D'Angelo is like a diversity trainer. And at one of the trainings, I guess somebody said something to a white woman and she started crying. And the whole anecdote was like the whole assembly, the whole training session stopped. So everybody could comfort this one white woman who was crying, even though the woman who had originally been speaking before her was black woman. And the black woman was like all exasperated in, in the sense that like, once again, she's overlooked for, you know, somebody, a white woman who's crying, which takes, total precedence in a way that you're right. If a woman of color were crying, I don't want to say all the time, but a majority of the time it would not garnish the same like attention or respect that it does. If a white woman starts crying, but at the same time, I also think it's interesting because I think that pendulum is starting to swing a little bit with the phenomenon. If you want to call it that of like, the Karen, <laughs> you know, like I think people are tired of sad white women. And so now when you like, there's finally like a term for it, you know, and I love that. I mean, it's also yes. dangerous, but that when you say Karen, it's like, you know, exactly the kind of woman that you're talking about. And I feel like that's the first time it's the first time I can really recall where like, white women are kind of being called out on their bullshit. Yes. So what you said about it's kind of dangerous. Do you care to elaborate? Well, I think with Karen territory, then we're kind of like slowly inching towards cancel culture, which has just become like totally overblown and way it's gone. It's gone way farther than I think well, then I know that it was, like, ever intended to really go. Because you see Karen's, like, that woman in New York City who called the police on the bird-watching guy for Black. Yeah. And how she was, like, totally canceled and lost her job. And, yeah, I mean, she was crying. And it was, like, unwarranted. And it was totally for attention, which she thought she would get. And it backfired. And she did get attention, but the wrong kind of attention like attention she didn't want but now ultimately like her life is ruined and so is that like did her act like her actions were racist but did they warrant that especially because she's in the private sector you know she's not a public figure i think that action wasn't overblown because if it had been anyone else maybe but she called the cops crying on a black man and knowing the NYPD's history with black men, the dude, if they had showed up, the dude probably, there was a good chance he would have gotten shot. I mean, I think it's interesting because they interviewed him. I think he's Chris Cooper, and that was Amy Cooper. I thought it was weird they had the same last name. Um, yeah. And he said that he thought it was too extreme. And he was like, you can't determine what this woman's character is in 60 seconds. He was like... It was certainly racist at the time, but 
I don't believe that she should have lost her job and had all of these repercussions. And he was like, and there's no way to know that only she knows that. So maybe she is a shitty person all the time and she does deserve that. But maybe it was just an overreaction on her part in a split second. But I just thought it was interesting that that was like his perspective. But I think the, the more interesting thing at hand is how she, a white woman was able to capitalize on the, like the, the systemic racism that our country is founded on. And I, I'm so tired of saying that. Cause I feel like we hear it all the time on the news now, but like the inner workings of our country that everybody's aware of, but nobody really talks about or acknowledges openly because then we'd be saying America is racist. But she knew if she called the police as a white woman sounding like a white woman and saying that there's an African-American man harassing her, that that would garnish like attention. And that's what I think is more interesting is she is, she like everybody else is aware of the way the system works and how to game it. If you are of the right racial demographic, gender demographic. Exactly. She knew she was safe, regardless. That's, that's the thing. She never thought about what would happen to him. It was all about her. It, it never even entered her mind all of the bad things that could happen to him. And I read that same article that you did about him forgiving her and him, um, Chris Cooper, actually like rising above it. And that's fine, like that because he was a victim in that. So he has every right to feel the way he, that he does. Like he's a, a, arguably a better person than she was. But what surprised me was the fact that the NYPD even charged her because honestly, I just figured she would get a slap on the wrist and that would be the end of it. Because how many other women like Amy Cooper have come and gone that haven't even made the news, you know? So that was a nice little, um, I don't know, but that's, that's the thing. Like she thought she would get away, walk away unscathed. She never even considered the bad things that could have happened to him, especially in this climate. And one of the um, articles I read on her um, they interviewed one of her friends saying, oh, and I can't believe this happened. She's one of the most progressive people I've ever known, blah, blah, blah. But that's that's what I'm talking about. Whether it's conservative, quote, white women or liberal white women, they keep pulling this shit because they can't. Right. And I'm fucking over it. Like, even, I don't, it's not even whether or not they're conscious of it or if it just comes up in, like, little things, like, in the work environment where their feelings or whatever are prioritized. But it's just... It's very tiring having to manage not only, you know, your own bullshit as a person of color, but then having to take on the burden of all that other bullshit. Yeah, but I also think it's um, interesting, too, how many white women have stepped up in this resurgence of Black Lives Matter, because when you see um, protests that are going on, and you see pictures there there's a lot of white white women bringing families bringing their children i mean demographically speaking that makes sense since the majority of the us is white it, so I, it I, does but if I'm you compare them with like previous protests they're primarily black like the protester attendees and so that's what a lot of people are saying that that's like one of the major differences is that this george floyd incident has garnished the attention of um, a lot of white individuals, specifically white women, like the Portland or was it Seattle? Like the wall of moms, right? That was interesting. Yeah. Where was that? Which city? Oh, that one I think was Portland, but I'm not positive because 
I know I read an article about it in conjunction with the whole um, the secret police being sent out in Portland a couple of weeks ago. So I might be conflating the two, but it was definitely West Coast. Okay. Yeah, I know that. I just can't remember which one. But that's what I'm talking about. Like, why did it take George Floyd and now for all of them to show up when there have been many, many George Floyds before George Floyd? Oh, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that I think white women maybe are starting to acknowledge the privilege that they hold a bit more and trying to yield it in a more positive way. So then... So then, okay, so one thing that bothers me that's part of that privilege. I agree with you that they are trying, which is great. But, so while they will attend, say, for example, you know, someplace like Black Lives Matter protest or donate, you know, doing all those kinds of things. And then in the same breath or in the same next moment, still keep contact with, you know, either their relatives or friends or other people who are against Black Lives Matter are against trans rights are against LGBT rights. Like, what do you think about that? Um, that's too. And I know there are some people who are pretty extreme and say anybody who holds an ideology that supports um, anything, you know, like hateful or like MAGA, I uh, want to cut out of my life. But I also think that's kind of like fringing on cancel culture, too, in a way that is very dangerous. And we're seeing that kind of effect now because of the polarization that's happening in the country where people just don't listen to each other. And so if you're going to listen to anybody, you're going to listen to your friends and family who may have opposing viewpoints. And I'm not saying anything's going to change, but if you keep having those kinds of tough conversations, you might be able to gradually shift a viewpoint. And I realize that again, it's putting the work on, not necessarily the the person of color, but just the person with the ideas to be communicated. But I can't foresee any other way that somebody who, you know, has like racist or hateful ideas is really just gonna have an epiphany, if not, for somebody in their life. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I always go back and forth on that because I do have a couple of work friends um, who come from areas where, you know, they told they would tell me that it was like, even if it was like New York or New Jersey, you would be strongly conservative, strongly pro-Trump, at least in the recent times. And they would have constantly the same kinds of conversations over and over again with their Trump supporting uh uh, relatives and friends but nothing would ever change and it just made me wonder you know why do they keep doing the work when all these conversations don't seem to make any headway why do they keep I guess not excusing but I guess justifying you know the the people in their lives who vote for politicians that would easily put a fascist government into place if they could. I agree with you, but I'm saying what's the alternative? You cut out anybody in your life who doesn't agree with your opinion. And I also think then that becomes very like closing yourself in to only your own viewpoints. And I understand that a viewpoint isn't really a viewpoint when it is infringing on somebody's existence to just 
well, their literal existence because they're black or because they're whatever, that that's not really a a viewpoint. But I don't know. I just feel like we used to live in a time where people would be able to like put different, like political differences aside. But maybe like Donald Trump has just shown the, the racist side of America. It's gone too far and there's no going back. But I don't really see how you progress beyond that if you like, stop talking to everybody who doesn't have your same viewpoints, if that makes sense. No, you're right. I mean, I've, I guess for me, I've been lucky enough to gravitate towards people who have the same kinds of values that I do. So I don't really have those kinds of, um, I don't know, MAGA lovers in my life because I don't, because, but I don't know if I did, I don't know if I would keep them in my life. I, I mean, I don't have MAGA lovers in my life either, but I do know people who support Trump and we have professional relationships. Oh, I, I know uh, people at work who support Trump. And yeah, I mean, I'm not going to tell them to go fuck themselves, even though I want to. Uh, but I'm also not going to take the time to argue with them to make them change their minds, because especially when they're the kinds of people who at every opportunity will bring up why Trump is God. So, Oh, I, yeah, I don't talk about politics with those kinds of people. But I also think it's dangerous to just not like somebody. I, I guess maybe, yeah, you don't have to be like very close friends. But I, it's so challenging to talk like, because I do have a friend who's very progressive and very liberal. And she um, is from Michigan. And she has a lot of friends who are like big Trump supporters, um, like anti, anti-vaxxers. They're like COVID conspiracy theorists. And I was talking to her and I was like, how does that work? Like, how do you guys get along? And, and she was like, well, they wanted her friend and her husband, like they wanted to have a conversation about like why my friend has these particular v- viewpoints versus their viewpoints. And I thought like that could sound productive to say what you're thinking, comment on what the other person is thinking, but not have it become like some internet trolling match. And, and the reason why it wouldn't is because they already have a friendship established. So I guess that's what I'm thinking of. Like somebody who is more progressive saying, well, here's the, like logical fallacy behind what you're saying, or here's why what you're saying is just not accurate or fact, fact based. So did your friend have the conversation with her friend? Um, no, my friend is in South Africa right now and they tried to do it over Skype and it got too heated. So she was like, I think it'd be better to just have this conversation in person. <laughs> I don't know, man, if, they, if they're having that many issues just over Skype, even if it's face to face. And they're still too heated. That's what I'm talking about. Like those kinds of, so at work, um, before, you know, the Rona and everything, they would have a, it was weekly or bi-weekly. I don't even remember anymore, but they were company lunches, right? And without fail, the Trump lovers and the so-called independents who used to be conservatives and who voted for Hillary anyway, and even though they didn't want to, they would always get into these arguments and these, these, and then what's surprising is that the old dudes were the ones who don't like Trump, and it was the young ones who were Trump lovers. And this is that your so they don't. Is that your work? Yeah, it's, it's, it's at my wow. job. 
and the old dudes would try to convince, you know, with their quote unquote arguments and stuff like that. But these young dudes, they never back down. And I'm just like, and obviously these young dudes, they looked up to these old guys because money, power, whatever, whatever. And what's interesting is that even though they had a relationship based on trust, those arguments would always get heated and nothing would ever change. So, you know, I'm glad that your friend is having these kinds of conversations with her friends, but I don't know, even though they have a relationship based in trust, if people want to double down, regardless of the evidence, that's not going to change. I know. I just think that like holding ourselves off into our own little like sections it can't, it's not going to evoke any change either. So I guess maybe it's just like a rock in a hard place. I don't know. That's a good way to put it. Because like I said, I've, I've tried to be like your friend for the longest time. Up until even just two or three years ago, I always tried to put myself, like sympathize, put myself in the other person's place, try to convince people to leave the dark side and join the good side. But I don't know. I guess I just I just don't have it as much patience as your friend does because they can go fuck themselves. Like legitimately with the young dudes, the Trump lovers at work, I would try the first year I tried really hard. And it was it doesn't matter. Well, it never mattered what kind of statistics, what kind of you know data I would put out. They would always find a way to cherry pick their own shit. I'm just and I realized like I don't I don't fucking care. Like it's as because at the end of the day, like the old dudes and the young dudes, they can disagree, but for them it doesn't matter. They can disagree all they want they're still going to come out on top, regardless of whether it's now or 20 years from now. Well, I think people are just going to stick to whatever they want to believe at this point in time. And- I mean, especially white people, is because they don't have to deal with all of this. I know, I always say that too, that if you feel as though you can vote thir- third party or not vote at all because you don't like either candidate, well, that's a sign of your privilege because you don't have to yes. worry about anything. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just like, wow, you know, that's, that's great. I wish I had that kind of power. But I guess we've, we've strayed from the topic. No, we haven't. I mean, we're still pretty much on point. Well, mostly on point. So then, (laughs) and all right, let me go to my next thing on here. So then let's switch things up a little bit because we've covered a majority. What? were your experiences with white women in Korea versus white women here? I would say that kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, things that you have in common. And I think that usually in America, your commonality is that you're women. And then in Korea, the commonality was that you were foreigners and being a foreigner trumped <laughs> um, <laughs> being a woman of a different race, if that makes sense. So it was like, I was friends with the, like, um, actually, I guess I wasn't friends with that many white women, but I was friends with more women there <laughs> than I was, than I think I am, or previously was friends with women here. And I think it was because it was like, we were all foreigners in a foreign country and that was what we bonded on. But there was also women who just didn't like me there. Um, And actually like one in particular, the root source, which I think is often the root source of why women don't like each other was a man. Right. Because I think (laughs) women are in competition for each other 
over men, or at least that's how they perceive it. And it, it was like totally asinine because it was like somebody who I had no romantic feelings for. I never did. Um, we were friends and like he had a crush on me and she mm. and him had dated for like a month or two. And mm. when they ended, she just didn't like me because he had a crush on me and that was it. Like didn't know anything about me. We had never really associated, but she was just so cold towards me. And then she got all of her friends to not like me. And this has, this is what baffles me where I'm like, I had no contact with this person besides being friends with him. I didn't quote unquote steal him away from you. I didn't do anything like that. And yet you still don't like me and you turn people against me. So it would be very uncomfortable um, because it's a, it was like a small group of foreigners. It was like my particular intake. Um, and so I was friends with like some, some of the women and then others just like wouldn't talk to me or be like very rude to me. But then like all the men were very nice. And that I think is because there's nothing that you're quote, like kind of like competing for, even though I didn't view it like that. It was just bizarre. Yo, that's wild. I didn't realize uh, the, the fact that women in their 20s are still pulling this kind of shit that would happen in middle school. That's shocking to me that you had to go through that, especially like you said, when you're in another country, a foreign country, and you want to be able to get along with the people that are from your, you know, from your, your own, your home country, like, you know, something, some kind of similarities to give, create a kind of comfort zone, but, and they just alienated you like that? I mean, just this one particular group of girls did. Um, and it wasn't even everybody in the group, but it was like some of them. Uh, but that has been a trend since I was like in college where like women didn't like me cause I was like friends with their boyfriends or the, the guy that they liked, I was friends with that guy. And I think that's, that's probably pretty common to be honest. If you talk to, to women on both sides where they don't like a woman because, um, they like a particular man who's interested in, in them or vice versa, like my scenario. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know if men have that as much. That's an interesting question. And it's, it's something I've thought about too, because whenever my guy friends get girlfriends, suddenly like the, the relationship between me and my guy friend is, is different. And it takes a while for me to realize the difference. And it's, almost inevitably their girlfriends and it's just it frustrates me because like you said like I don't have any designs on your quote man and if anything he was my friend before he was your boyfriend so if anybody's got dibs it's fucking me you know um and like I don't I don't get it like I it's just it's frustrating especially when my guy friends are describing their partners and I'm like yo this sounds like a woman I would get along with but she won't give me the fucking time of day like what am I supposed to do then but, but here's the irony right because you didn't like me because of a guy friend. A friend. That's because you had broken up with him. Not because I was into him. And it's not like I didn't change my mind. And it's not like I spread rumors about you and tried to get people to turn against That's you. true. But you were not very nice to me initially. <laughs> and this is what I'm saying. Women don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. I agree. I was actually going to bring it up. But at least I kept it between the two of us. Like instead of getting other people involved. That's true. And at least I let myself, like, you know, um, 
get to know you and apologize. Did I actually ever apologize to you? Because if I didn't, I'm sorry. I was a shitty person. I th- I'm, I'm pretty sure because we talked about it. And then, like, by the end of that uh, job program summer work thing, like, we, we were friends. Yeah. It was dope. Um, but- that's, that's the, that was the funniest part of it, too, because I even told Timmy, yo, I like Kate, and I'm sorry that I was ever mean to her. <laughs> but I think that's what happens, though. I think women will prioritize men, whether it's because of, like, a love interest or a friendship or whatever it might be. And women get possessive about men in ways that men don't get possessive about women. Over, over, overarchingly. I think you're right. And now that I'm thinking about it, I wasn't so just so just like how you said with especially when you're um, in foreign countries, like the circle ends up kind of being an incestuous circle because a lot of people end up dating or sleeping within it. I wasn't part of those circles, but and neither were my friends. But we knew about those circles when we were in Japan, and especially a lot of the white girls, like they did a lot of that kind of, you know, um, excluding mean girl kind of bullshit that you went through to other um, women, whether or not they're white women or women of color. But I'm just like, yo, at this point, we were all in our 20s. Some of us were even in our 30s. And it's like nobody ever got over what happened to them in junior high. Yeah, It's crazy. Well, it was like a running joke by the end of the career because I had been really good friends with like two girls. And then I became friends with a third girl. And she was like, what am I like your third girlfriend here and I was like yes (laughs) and that was just because she didn't feel like I don't want to say threatened because then I sound all like well I think so highly of myself but I I know what you're talking I know what you're talking about like that's I guess um she was a safe space for her yeah and I think definitely also being in Korea being a Korean woman woman added a certain dimension to that for white women being like, I'm not interesting because I'm not exotic, right? So these like white guys in the program would be interested in Korean women. And since I was a Korean woman, I think there was like another added aspect there. But that's funny because I, I want in terms of like the opposite sex, I guess in a way that was like, advantageous being in Korea because men wanted to date Korean women but then being in America it's kind of the opposite because I don't there are some men who don't want to date women of color who only want to date white women you know yeah that's pretty similar to how it was in Japan Um, but what's interesting in Japan is that white men generally they're fucking a lot of them are rice kings they'll deny it but they are just like in korea um but what's interesting is the way that the japanese culture thinks of white women in particular and a lot of japanese dudes want to date white women yeah so white women and obviously white women still have like you know other men foreigners whatever whatever but the way that they're viewed just like over here almost like fragile need to be cosseted and whatever like i actually just like you had um a lot more women friends who are women in in korea than you did over here i had the same i had the same similar experience but a lot of my friends were actually other women of color because i couldn't get along my personality did not jive with the white women a lot of them 
not entitled, but I guess ignorant and more like the whole why can't we all just get along kumbaya like that kind of personality it just it doesn't match with me um but what's interesting is that some of them like for teacher trainings and seminars stuff like that we'd have to we'd be forced into separate groups the way you're not usually with your friends and it was interesting hearing about the experiences of white women and I remember this one particular time um this younger white woman she said that and I paraphrasing I don't remember exactly but she now understands how minorities feel in America because of the discrimination that she's experienced in Japan. And let me tell you, <laughs> the discrimination that white women experience in Japan is very different from the discrimination that other women of color experience in Japan. Like, is that something similar that would happen in Korea? Um, I definitely think that that's true. What you said about Japanese men wanting to date white women, because I felt like that was true as well in Korea, where Korean men would want to date white women. But I don't know about anybody saying that they felt discriminated against. Because I think if you're white in Korea, you're almost like a celebrity. Like people want to take a picture with you. Or especially if you're blonde. Because they don't have any like native blonde you know crayons and so it would be very foreign and very like exciting and kind of you know the western idea of beauty and so for blonde women especially i think they almost felt very special around koreans that was her discrimination she was a redhead she said she hated being like the talk of the town and having random people come up to her and stuff like that and well, you know being automatically separated or whatever whenever she went shopping or things like that and i'm just like are you joking right now yeah i mean that's almost the exact opposite because you're being like lionized instead of being demonized <laughs> Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. But she was dead serious. She was like 100% serious. And I'm just like, wow, if only I mean, I didn't say it out loud, because I wasn't that much of an asshole. But I, in my head, I was like, if only my problems were that serious, too. Well, that's actually interesting that you bring that up, too. Because I feel like a lot of like cisgendered white women who are progressive or woke are so desperate to be oppressed that they will do things specifically <laughs> to feel oppressed so that they can then say, well, I'm oppressed in this way, shape, or form. And I know tons of women like that. Yo, can you get, I, I, that's, I, this is the funniest thing to me ever. Like, now that you've said it, I can think of articles that I've read. I never could understand why they rubbed me the wrong way. But the fact that you just said it right now, they want to be oppressed. That's why it rubbed me the wrong way. Do you have any specific examples or experiences about that? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, it's freedom of self-expression, too. So I don't want to sound like I'm closed-minded, but women who, white women who have nothing going against them because they're white cisgendered women will, like, take on a particular aesthetic of, like, a shaved head or like piercings or dress in a particular way or take up a like take a very like new age type of hobbies whether it's like mm. reading tarot cards or 
doing yoga or like other things that are supposed to be counterculture, but have really just been co-opted. And now mm-hmm. they're not forms of oppression. They're like just things that are associated with like, I don't even say hipsters, but like sort of in that realm, but like a subculture of hipster. Benevolent appropriation. Yeah. Is what I like to call that. Yeah. So being like, well, I'm, I was discriminated against because I have my head shaved or, you know, I'm not, I'm not like very feminine, which I realize I already said, but I don't try to do things that purposely make me more masculine. I think I'm just more masculine in like the way that I carry myself and my energy. Um, but yeah, those are the kinds of women who I feel it's very like performative active activism and that bothers me much more than than white women who are ignorant about stuff and will willingly say well I don't really know that much about the topic and I'm like great thanks (laughs) I agree that that actually the so do you think Taylor Swift fits in that mold of what of of a woman of a white woman who's just making shit up because she needs to be oppressed so that she can have a reason for talking about the stuff she does not really, no, to be honest. I know a lot of people maybe don't like Taylor Swift, but I felt that she was always very true to her brand, which I think she acknowledges that she is a white woman with a lot of power and she dates around and she writes songs about that. But people gave her flack too for the Black Lives Matter movement because she didn't post anything or say anything. And I felt conflicted about that. Cause I was sort of like, well, maybe it's because she doesn't know enough about it or feel strongly about it, which again, I guess would go back to that kind of privilege of not needing to. But on the other hand, at least she's not doing performative stuff that is like, not, I don't want to say like fake allyship, but performative for her audience. Although I guess it could also be she doesn't want to say anything in fear of like losing fan base who might be um, conservative white women. So then what do you think about that song? Uh, I forgot what it was called. Like, you need to calm down or whatever. Yeah, a lot of people thought that was weirdly like a, like L- LGBTQ plus appropriation like she wasn't she's not part of that but she's trying to I guess that's what you're asking me yeah is is she trying to capitalize on that um not trying she did she did uh but I like it didn't bother me but that's what I'm talking about if she has you know if she feels comfortable enough to take that movement why wouldn't she feel comfortable enough to try to capitalize on BLM I know with You Need to Calm Down, the reason why she did that song was because a lot of her fans had assumed, or a lot of the general public had assumed, that she was or is conservative. And that included being like anti-LGBTQ+. And she was like, I have so many friends in that community that I felt like I had to write something that affirmed my stance. So, yeah, I guess the question remains, why didn't she do that with BLM? 
That's what, exactly. I mean, basically, then that her her argument is pretty much, oh, I have gay friends. I can't, you know, I'm not a homophobe. It's basically the you know the racist version of I have black friends. I can't be racist. So she, if she has, you know, so many people in that community, you know, within her or her circle of friends, family, and whatever, she, hundred percent has black people in her circle. So what's the difference between? That, you know, do you think that though? I don't think that the two have to be linked. At least a few. I know plenty of people who are LGBTQ plus and are white. Um, I have way more white friends who are LGBTQ plus than black friends. I guess. I also think that they're two, like, they're linked, but they're two different movements and they're at different places where I think... um, it almost, it's almost like fashionable to be queer now. It's like very. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I don't know. When I first heard that song, I was not impressed, especially because the lyrics are just so generic. It's such hot garbage. And I just thought that, well, I, I still think that she just capitalized on it because it was trendy. And right now, BLM is trending. And I'm sure you've gotten tons of emails from random companies saying Black Lives Matter. We've done this. We've done that performative, whatever. So it's just surprising to me because she's she's had a the same thing with feminism. Like she's definitely one of those kind of people where back in the day, if you look at her earliest interviews, she'd be like, Oh, I don't believe in feminism. We're, you know, got to this point where women can do anything, blah, blah, blah. And then like three years ago, suddenly she did you know, claims herself as a feminist. I'm not saying that people can't evolve because we've both gone through that. It's just that her evolution tend to be conveniently enough during specific periods in time of cultural change. So it's kind of suspect. You're not a Taylor Swift fan then. Oh, I actually don't mind her music. I even listened to Reputation and, and honestly, I have mixed reviews on it, but I like to take a critical look of Taylor Swift. Like her earlier stuff was nice because teeny boppy, whatever, whatever. And then her, the last album I listened to was Reputation, so I haven't listened to anything after that, except for You Need to Calm Down. Um, but I actually don't mind it. I just, I have a problem with how how she curates her brand to the point where she wants to seem authentic, but I don't think she is authentic. Like, in my in my experience, I don't think she's genuine. Like, none of what she does is real, and she, it's just performative. And because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to her. It's not going to affect her. Yeah, but that becomes a slippery, slippery slope to to say that nobody within a specific group, if that specific group is not effect, affected, can be a meaningful ally to a cause. That's fair. That's the equivalent of saying, well, why are white people at Black Lives Matter protests then? Because it doesn't affect them. Like, so in some ways right those people are actually the problem like black people well certainly you have like racist black people but they're not the ones perpetuating so much violence or racism towards themselves of course like of course people are gonna be like black on black crime blah 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 right but the issue of racism is rooted in white americans not liking black americans yeah and so I guess maybe it's like, again, not the same, but similar in that she's not queer, but 
people who aren't queer are the ones who are homophobic. They're the problems, you know? Yeah. So to have somebody who's not queer say these kinds of things is important because then it will reach more of an audience and people will be maybe more receptive from hearing it from somebody who isn't queer as opposed to when you have somebody who's already like presenting outwardly gay trying to advocate for their own rights but I mean that's still like not really answering the question of did she profit or is it just fashionable I guess that's my it's not it's my my problem is with their intentions and not the ends I do agree with you that you know obviously allyship is important especially when white people are the ones with the power so anything that they do for these movements especially for um, black people is important but I guess for me, it's it's hard for me to reconcile the intentions with the with the results, especially when the intentions. It's not like, you know, LGBTQ rights weren't an issue before she dropped her song, before you know all of that. She's been in the industry for close to thir- almost fifteen years now. She's basically our age, and she started when she was a teenager. So you know, and I get you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into PR and things like that, but. I don't know. You can't just drop a song like that, make some Instagram post, and call it a day. Well, I guess you could argue that the song would maybe resonate with some fans who were anti-LGBTQ+, and whether that got them to think about their views, or it would lose her popularity, right? Yeah. So you can't necessarily say that it was all for profit, because for maybe every fan she gained from that song, she probably also lost a fan because of that song. I guess. I guess I don't really feel bad, though, about that because she's a millionaire several times over, so I don't think she even cares about losing fans. No, I'm just saying that maybe it wasn't all for, like, money or... Image. Yeah, because they're only people who probably felt negatively about that song yeah that's true I guess I'm at this point in my life where everything especially like you know what's interesting to me it's easy for me to know my people they're gonna you know whatever they're gonna hate me and my people and people that look like you and me regardless whatever but I distrust the liberal ones more (laughs) Because of shit like this, whether it's, you know, making excuses for the conservatives or, you know, jumping on a trend because suddenly it's important to do it when it wasn't before, whatever, whatever. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, and I think that is fringing on, like, performative activism. Also, to a certain extent, white woman tears again, where, well, women of color have been saying this for years nobody listens and then a white chick makes a song about it and it's like oh wow look at this yes thank you so this is why i love talking to you because you synthesize all the rambling shit that comes out of my mouth into stuff like that like exactly white women women of color have been crying about this for years taylor swift makes a song and everybody's like oh my god let's applaud her oh it's so brave what the fuck is brave about that yeah that's definitely a strong argument But I also think that as a public figure, especially somebody as famous and powerful as her, as Taylor Swift, it's hard 
you can't separate yourself from your name and your brand. And so you need to decide how you want to yield that power. So by her coming out with this song that's pro LGBTQ, people are obviously going to view it as like a cash grab, but then you also have to think, well, she didn't have to do that. She didn't have to release anything. She could have been quiet about it and not taken a stance. So I guess in a way it's like a rock in a hard place. Although when you're like a trillionaire, it's a lot easier to be in this quote unquote rock in a hard place. That's a fair point. I guess. Yeah. I mean, we can question her intentions all we want, but we'll never know. She's the only one who will know. Just like what we were saying about Amy Cooper. She's the only one who actually knows what went on in her head at the time. Yeah. So I guess in this case, the ends will have to, suffice yeah and i mean taylor Swift was apolitical for a really long time and people just assumed she was very like religious because of the way she looks and she's from the south um and then i think releasing that song and then also it was like she's from tennessee i believe and she's from pennsylvania she moved to tennessee when she was 12 hold on can i tell you this do you tell me stop me if you already know this so taylor swift has for the longest time created this narrative where she came up from nothing do you know the real story behind Taylor Swift? Um, I don't know, do I? Her grandfather was a partner in Goldman Sachs. Her daddy was an executive in Goldman Sachs. I think her mom was also like in a law firm or some shit like that. They were from Pennsylvania. They moved to Tennessee for her recording career because her dad bought a stake in the first recording company that she signed on with. There is nothing about coming up from the bottom now we're here for Taylor Swift. But that's the kind of um, the narrative that she's been trying to push for years. She was well off even before she got big. Well, that's not where I was going with this. But. Sorry, I just needed to get sure, that out there. I mean, you can make that's... the argument that she's always come from like a good socioeconomic bracket and she's always had power and stat. Well, that's but that's the thing. She's yeah, but she's managed. She also has the ability to change her own narrative to make it seem like she came from nothing. And now she has some kind of plausibility for talking about all these kinds of step back and be like, well, is she doing more harm than she is good overall for inclusive inclusivity? And like, yeah, she was quiet about Black Lives Matter. But I guess by releasing that song, she was showing that she is an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, whereas somebody like our president who claims he also is a self-made millionaire, which obviously <laughs> is not. Like, yeah. look at what he does with his status and power. So, I, and honestly, you could do that with any celebrity. Like, how are they yielding yeah. their status and their power? Is it in a benevolent way or is it in a uh, Donald Trump way? <laughs> That's a very, yeah. Correct. And so everybody's like, I, I don't want to say everybody has to take a side but you are going to have your own your own beliefs and ideologies and things that you do or don't support. And so you kind of almost have to like factor out the power and privilege that's connected to being a celebrity. That's fair. I've, I've been trying to be better about it, but I still have this tendency to, I guess, not a real purity test because I know that that's not a real thing, but... I just don't Taylor Swift very much, and that's YouTube. fine. I, said, I just don't think you like Taylor Swift very much, but that's fine. 
her her music is fine. It's just her persona that is both baffling and frustrating to me. Just because it's it's uh I guess on a sociological level or even a psychological level, like what drives but that's a different story entirely. I actually like Taylor Swift a lot if you can't tell. <laughs> I could tell. I could tell. I can see why people like her. I guess I, I'm just skeptical of her realness. Right. I could see that. Yeah. Especially because like, you, uh, whatever, we'll talk about it another time. Um, but yeah, any final thoughts, any comments, anything else you want to say about white women in the U.S.? Because white women outside of the U.S. are and are, are interesting, different breed, even though I haven't met that many of them. Um, I mean, I guess it's just a multifaceted topic that I will probably keep evolving my opinion on. Same.